Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. Welcome to another episode of Startup Dads. I'm delighted to welcome Tom Hooper to the show. Tom, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what makes you a startup dad? Of course. Thank you for, for having me. Um, so I work in education. I set up a business called Third Space Learning in 2013, so this is our eighth year. Um, it's my second business in education, so I founded one called BrightSpark before that. What we do is we provide online one-to-one tutoring to children in need in state schools across the UK, um, and we're now starting to work with students in the US as well. I am a dad, indeed. I have two little boys, Inigo, who's three, and Alden, who's one, one and a bit who as Oldham was a, a kind of he was born in March of last year so just as everything was kicking off with wow, COVID. pandemic baby um, yeah 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 pandemic distraction a delightful distraction <laughs> pandemic <laughs> which has been which has been great so that's me fantastic fantastic stuff so speaking of families and entrepreneurs I was doing a little bit of reading about you and found out that you come from a family of entrepreneurs so what was that like mm. growing up you know, lots of us don't even know that running a business is an option when you're younger, but you were probably immersed in it earlier on in your life. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So my uh, my mother, father, brother and sister are all entrepreneurs. Wow. Um, so actually, it's my mother and sister who are the super successful ones. So growing up, my father was a lawyer originally, and then uh, focused on helping small businesses get up and running before he ended up setting up his own small business, actually kind of doing that. So so working with small businesses and that. I remember in, I think I was like 10 or 11, and my parents sitting me down and saying, you know, dad's leaving his law firm and he's going to set up on his own. And it, it, I mean, clearly it was a big decision for them. Yeah. And I didn't really... I remember at the time thinking, okay, this is clearly a big decision given the way that they're talking to me, but but it doesn't seem like that bigger decision which was probably naivety at the time but that was against the context that my mother had always been running her own business so when i was three or four and my mom mom, who i love dearly but i mean she's not the greatest cook but she she had this (laughs) business somehow like selling cakes to hospitals and i remember driving around in the back of her Vauxhall astra this rusty and rust colored Vauxhall astra selling her cakes or delivering her cakes to hospitals but anyway but she she kind of evolved from that to setting up this this very successful property business that arranged accommodation for doctors and nurses from around the world in london and then edinburgh which she actually sold after 25 years of running it and building it so wow. you know we sort of grew up around that and she would run it from home with her business partner so yeah you're right it's sort of it was always normal uh, and I suppose it's a mixture of, of, of seeing that, but also probably for my parents' parenting, mm. um, of giving us the confidence to try things and not feeling like we 
had to get a certain type of job or had to have a certain type of lifestyle just you know wanting us to to do what we enjoyed and and to take risk to try things out yeah which clearly works all three of us have, mm. have set up our own businesses and um That's super cool yeah which is which has been great which has been very good so a credit to my parents do you find that you've got, I suppose it's one of those interesting things that it's changed the support network you have, like having your family who can really understand that. Because, you know, one of the things people talk about is being an entrepreneur can, can be kind of lonely, it can be quite a lonely thing at times. So it changed your frame of reference, I suppose, going into it. I, I suppose, you know, you always need people to support you, but I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question that, because it's often, I was reflecting to one of the, when we were talking before, there was one of the questions about the impact of being an entrepreneur on your own family. Mm. It definitely does have an impact on your family. Mm. Less, I think, because of like, the amount of work you do, although that, that can be a factor, more the risk that comes with it. And, and, and frankly, the, the distraction that comes with it. Yeah. It, it, it can just pull you the whole bloody time. Yeah. And your family has to be quite understanding of that. Um, yeah. And it, it can be quite selfish, frankly, to put them yeah. in that position. And that's been my biggest challenge, probably. Mm. And fortunately, I've got a very uh, wonderful and very understanding wife who's, who's you know, very successful in her career and has been very supportive of mine as well. You know, has been understanding at times when I've been under a lot of stress and, and, and as such very distracted from being the support that I wanted to be in, and should be at home as well. Um, but it's that's definitely one of the challenges from a family perspective. I think of of being yeah. an entrepreneur. Um, how do you how do you balance being present at home with the emotional burden that often comes with building a business? Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic insight. And I think lots of people talk about the intensity of being an entrepreneur. And I think that's well documented. But you put, picked on a point there, which I think is so so true, is that it's the fact that not only are the peaks very quite can be quite high but probably more is the fact that the troughs are never zero right yeah it's kind of yeah. never goes down to zero does it and i think that's a really good point and your point about needing a, a family who understand that is so true so true yeah yeah and i i think in truth with my parents or brother or sister we actually don't talk about it all that much mm. um Problem parks is quite nice not to talk not to talk yeah, about it and just talk sure. about other stuff that's not work or yeah. the, the highs and lows of it. But mm. I think just knowing that you've got that support and that understanding there, even if it's implicitly there rather than explicitly drawn upon, is incredibly valuable. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting that I think um, when you talk to other entrepreneurs, it's often what people don't say right go oh god that sounds terrible or you know how bad really is it you know i think it's rather than you know what i've noticed with certain friends and family that you'd rather not talk about it or rather not say things it's what you don't say as much as what you do say which can be yeah. very supporting right just understanding that it can be difficult sometimes yeah and giving you that perspective i remember my, my dad said something to me a while ago which was quite interesting where you know whenever like we, we talk about it and, and about business and progress and I'm, I'm forever saying if we can just survive this next six months, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? You've been building this business for eight years. You built your business and your previous business you built and sold. And, and all the way through, you've been saying to me, if we can just survive this next six months. And do you know what? Every time you do and you yeah. survive and you go on and you build the next bit and, 
And I think that kind of perspective on the arc that takes you through the highs and lows mm-hmm. is very valuable because they, they see they, they see that and they can remind yeah. you of it, which is is important because it's it's very easy to forget the progress you've made. It's very easy to forget to celebrate the successes because you know in your mind it's like I've said I've achieved that goal. Yeah. You achieve it, you're on to the next thing. But yeah. but one must celebrate, otherwise you get nuts. Yeah, yeah. And easy to forget to do, actually. Yeah. You know, rush of things. I mean that's a great segue onto the next question I wanted to ask you actually. So look, you've had an amazing run two edtech businesses. Your first one, Brightspark, the thing that struck me about it uh, was that you came into the industry from the outside. So not necessarily yeah. a teacher or a technologist. How does that happen? Good question. Um, so I worked in investment before that, which I quite enjoyed. But yeah, it certainly doesn't prepare you for, or didn't prepare me for building a business in the education sector, in the technology sector. I mean, look, there's pros and cons, right? So the pros are you have a fresh perspective. You are not biased by the status quo. And you can bring a willful naivety and optimism <laughs> to that, right? And those are pretty essential ingredients in innovation. Yes. And, and certainly in, in, well, I mean, founding both businesses, there was plenty of good reason not to do it. I mean, tons of good reason, which, which people said, like, well, why would you do that? Like, there's no budget. Schools won't buy that. It, you know, it's, that's ridiculous. But that lack of experience, it prevents you from seeing all those reasons. Mm. And I think perhaps allows you to focus on the problem and the solution as you see it relative to that problem, rather than the reason why that solution can't work, given how things are. So I think I think that was really valuable. I think it also instructs the type of leader you become or the type of entrepreneur you become okay. as well. I think entrepreneurs who have good experience in the sector, I mean, there's definitely a huge amount of value in that in terms of, of credibility at the beginning of building the business and through building the business as well. And the probably bringing more structure to the development of that business. I mean, the, the cons are, probably a greater feeling of imposter syndrome mm. in being an outsider. I think overall, I would say it definitely helped me at the beginning. Um, just drive it through, like not listening to no. Yeah. And that kind of persistence and passion for it, even in the face of kind of quite obvious roadblocks, just mm. kept it going through the first few months and, and you know, years, frankly. Clearly setting up third space, I actually already had three years experience mm. from building Brightspark, so that that helped. Um, but you know, there, there are other kind of perspectives on that question in terms of I'm a non-technical founder of a business for which technology is absolutely critical. Um, and I think I think that caused challenges at the beginning. Um, particularly if you kind of rewind uh, the technology sector is much 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 more mature now in London, the kind of mm. startup sector. Um, and the knowledge in terms of the ease with which you can build teams, admittedly, recruitment is still a challenge, but the the support systems around that are much more advanced. It was certainly less so then. Um, I mean, even, God, even stuff like Google Apps for Business didn't exist when mm. I set up BrightSpark. Um, so I think being a non-technical founder was probably more of an impediment than being a non-educationalist 
starting an education business. That's really interesting. And I think we made mistakes at the beginning. You know, if you start to accrue technical debt in a business, mm. it can take quite a long time to clear that. And I think we accrued too much technical debt, which slowed us down and caused some, well, I say poor decisions, like cutting corners, frankly, which maybe a technical founder might not have made those mistakes. Mm. But, you know, it is what it is, like, or I am what I am. Um, yeah. And you've got to make the most of that. Yeah, completely. And, you know, I think yeah, I often think about my job as a founder is just to minimize making the same mistakes over and over again. Because, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you, you're destined to make lots of mistakes. Yeah, yeah, very true. And I suppose the question is, can you recognize those mistakes in time to mm -hmm. survive them? That's the key question. And it comes to that point on self-awareness, which you have to build quite clearly, like what what are your weaknesses, frankly, is more important than what are your strengths? And, and can you get yourself into a position quickly enough where you've got a team that makes up for those weaknesses? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about that, building that right team, you yeah. know, whether it's at the executive stage or the advisory stage in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So that takes me on to a question I did want to ask you. So away from the technical and domain side of things. So when you were building, uh, you know, BrightSpark for the first time, how did you build the network of people around you to fill the gaps that you may not necessarily have brought to the table? Clearly, you've got the entrepreneurial spirit, the business acumen, you know, the investment understanding, which again, tremendously valuable assets. But then you're looking for the other parts to fill in the puzzle. How did you do that? Well, BrightSpark was quite an extraordinary story because it, I set it up with my savings so it wasn't very much money but it was enough to get a very basic product off the ground and get customers using it and paying for it and actually ended up selling half the business and then in, in the end the whole business with one employee at the time so a company wow. called tez which is a times education supplement which is a, a big mm. publisher slash recruiter slash online teacher network um, we launched in September. They contacted us in October and we completed the deal in February. And then I spent 18 months there before oh, they wow. bought out the other half. So it, it, it was, and so that makes it sound probably a lot more successful than it, it was in reality. But it was a very extraordinary, like, first startup experience. Um, and in, in many ways, it kind of, it caused me to bypass a lot of the things that you actually learn. So I never mm -hmm. built a team there other than Caroline, who, who's, who's the one and only employee. And then I was sort of very quickly fired into Tez as a kind of executive in charge of tutoring. And um, wow, it was, yeah, so it was all, that was a slightly extraordinary experience. And then, yeah. so then kind of completed the deal there, left, and then uh, took, took the summer off to reflect on what next and then set up third space and so there were very very valuable experiences from bright spark but a lot of what was learned a lot of the mistakes made frankly in building third space were still very new it still felt like a first time round in, yeah. in many ways yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean that's an unbelievably accelerated time frame even in startup world isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was very strange so i suppose thinking a little bit about how doing something that you've not done before moving into a new domain 
uh, experiences you had. Does it does that influence your attitude to parenting? You know, I've, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I tend to find actually quite an interesting division about some people who are all about lots and lots of experimentation, and some people are about going really deep down rabbit holes. I mean, you've got young kids like me, one and three are probably not that reasonable to expect them to go too far down any rabbit holes, apart from possibly physical ones. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if you've, you've got any thoughts about this. What do you mean by rabbit holes? <laughs> uh, so I was, I was listening to, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Paul Graham. He's an entrepreneur that set up Y Combinator. Yeah, which is, yeah. Yeah, so big uh, uh, accelerator in Silicon Valley, one of the back to lots of the great big businesses of the world. He's a big believer in if his kids have got an obsession about absolutely anything, like if it's Star Wars or stamps or smarty containers, he's like, you know what, I'm just going to help them. Just I just want to fuel the passion. doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, and I just want to kind of fuel their passion for something and, and teach them that it doesn't matter what it is, but being passionate about something is what matters. And then you've got other people that say, actually, you know what? No, what you want to do is just keep trying things until it clicks. So, you know, you've clearly done, uh, you, maybe you've done a bit of both. I don't interest in your thoughts. I, I, I think, I mean, they're still very young. I, I, I think mm -hmm. I'd probably favor the, the rabbit hole. Me too. And, you know, the, even on the latter one, on, on when it clicks, that sounds like they're finding the rabbit hole. But, but I think in, in, general and i say this professionally as well i think it's less what you do it's more caring about what you do and, and you're right like i think the, the confidence that comes with being passionate about something for reasons that are kind of truly within you and not swept up in the kind of uh, social trends or what's happening at school or amongst your group of friends or whatever just about you i think it's a very good thing so I mean, I'd encourage that. I mean, my, frankly, my kids love Brio and um, <laughs> indeed, you know, like it, it, you know, all sort of Brio and reading, which is great. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm all up for encouraging that. Yeah. So, I, I think as they develop, it would be the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 again, probably a slightly different experience for you growing up with entrepreneurial parents, but I certainly. I remember people talking about different types of careers and, and whether picking a safe bet versus picking something that you really love and is worth it, but is a risk. And I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have a different perspective to lots of people on that. I've got so many friends, and this isn't denigrating accountancy. My dad's an accountant, right? So really important, valuable profession. But I've got so many friends who are like, you know what, can't really go too wrong. I'm not sure how right I can go, but uh, can't go too wrong. Well, there's what I, I think is, and I really hope this is changing with university, there was this whole thing, you've got to go to university, go to university, and then you start building up not just debt, but opportunity costs. Like, I've got this degree, yeah. I've got this debt, got to get a professional job, get your professional job. You're starting to build your career in that. Often that can come with a good salary, so then you sell your lifestyle. And yeah. it's very difficult to get off that track. And and I remember when, when I worked in investment, I was very, very conscious of that because you know, I was in my 20s, I was quite well paid, quite mm. enjoyed it. But I knew, I, from the get-go, I knew I didn't love it. And I knew yeah. that if I was still doing that in whatever, like 20, 30, I, I knew that if I carried on for much longer, there was a chance that I'd find it very difficult to get off. And I knew if yeah. I didn't get off, I would always, probably being a bit melodramatic, but I would regret it. Mm. And so, so I quit when I was 29. I saved up the money, quit thinking, okay, I've got enough money in the bank to take a year off and just fit something will happen. Mm. Don't know what, I might end up 
back where I started and in the same job, but something will happen, but it will not happen unless I jump now. So that was, and that I didn't know about Bright Spark or of course Third Space, which was years down the line from that, but I knew that I had to jump at that point. And I think what I think and hope is starting to change now is that the diversity of opportunity outside of university is starting to change and people are recognizing mm. that, is it actually worth doing? Yeah. Um, and I hope, I mean, that, uh, one, I actually don't know them at all. I've just read about the multiverse, which is, seems to be doing this great stuff with, with making um, apprenticeships a kind of bigger, better thing with the sorts of companies that traditionally you would have gone and got a degree and tried to get into. I'm all for that. Um, yeah. And I would really question my kids at university because I'm yeah. just not convinced as an employer. Like, is it really worth it? Yeah. You know, yeah, fine. When you see someone who's got a first from Cambridge, you think, okay, that's, you know, they're pretty damn smart. But for a lot of other people, is it really worth it? And I think that what then comes with that, in addition to that, I think that the transparency that comes with startups, innovation, the culture around that, um, it does start to change the dynamic about what people can do and what opportunities they have um, and the kind of the cultures and atmospheres and innovation that's the, that is available to people these days. And I, I hope that um, trend continues. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely bang on. I think your point about opportunity cost at the time as much as anything else is just so key. It's so, so key. And yeah, I've got lots of people I've worked with in my startup life and my old uh, in my old life don't have degrees. As you say, you know, you're thinking about what people bring to the table. I think we're certainly coming into an era where ticking the box of having a degree from X university is becoming a lower, a lower signal. Yeah, good. Awesome. So next question I wanted to ask you is about how having children has changed your approach to work and family life. So Bright Spark and now your new business over that time you got two kids, one and three. Mm. Life changes a lot. I mean, how have you, you know, found the way you make things work change? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think the, that probably each of them, each of the boys marked two different points in time. So Inigo was yeah. born in December, 2017 and 2018 and 19 were really bloody stressful years for the business. Yeah. Back to that point on, on when you're under a lot of pressure, and you're in charge, you know, it's your business, you're the founder and you're under that pressure and you, you're trying to keep the ship afloat. It's very difficult to be present at home when that happens. Yeah. And you need to be when you've got a little one. Yeah. And, and that was, so that was not a great time. Uh, there was not a great time, frankly, but we got, well, sorry, the business got through it. My wife didn't kick me out. Um, <laughs> Inigo seems to still quite like me, which is good. <laughs> um, so we got through that bit. And then actually what was quite interesting is when Alden was born in last year, so March 20, through sort of businesses, is, we're in a pretty good place. Like We're profitable. Revenue's more than doubled this year. Outlook for Great. next year is really, really good. Like it's all, you know, it's all go, go, go. And that, and so the, the, your confidence with that, and I think that the team is brilliant. Like the, everyone's on point with what they've got to do, which frankly makes my life a lot easier because, yeah. well, it just does. Um, and so that obviously allows you to be more confident and more present at home. And then also the, one of the benefits of the pandemic, if we're all allowed to say that, is 
it's changed how we work, right? I was yeah. five days a week in the office before, and I enjoyed that. It was great. It's a good office, great people. I'm very fortunate mm. to work with good people. I like them. But there's no doubt that if you want to be in the office half the week and at home half the week, and you can see more of the kids on that basis, yeah. that's a good thing. And so I'm around a lot more. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that I sort of, it wasn't like I was working 15 hour days before, but, but you know, if you're getting up, getting on the tube, going into work and coming back, you just yeah. will see less of them, obviously, like yeah. a little bit at the beginning of the day. And that, I think, is a, has huge implications in the future. Yeah. for for being around um yeah that's a very exciting thing yeah and it's been a real bonus from this last year yeah has it influenced your perspective as the pandemic eases how you'll be doing things going forward with the company yeah we're we're, we're thinking about that right now and i think well i think we know what the answer is we'll be um like most people i think a, a flexible team um, we've got yeah. an office team's growing and people will be in as they like, but with the kind of um, agreement of what would also work best for the team and the company. Everyone's done a brilliant job this last year and a bit. I haven't had to worry about where are they, what are they doing. They're all being they've absolutely delivered. So there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of commitment. Yeah. Um, if people want to be in here five days a week, great. If it's less often, that's okay. Providing they keep doing what they're doing, we're good with that. Yeah. I think it's been one of those really interesting things talking to, you know, my friends who are in the game where I think it's been a really great litmus test of the trust of your team. And I've seen kind of quite different camps where it's just worked really, really well. And actually it's just galvanized the trust that you had and actually heard, unfortunately, of where it hasn't worked well at all. And it's been a real problem. But yeah, same HX, it's been really, really great. And very similarly, you know, puts you in a position where actually you've got more options now. And I get, you know, the point you just made uh, that you touched on earlier about actually the office is great. And the, but the biggest time sink is the commute. And I think I've been doing lots of research because like you, we're trying to make our plan now and talking to the team. And I think what I've realized is most people love their office, right? Particularly in startups where actually you get a lot of that, the energy of being with your, with yeah. your team, but, but the, no one loves their commute. <laughs> and I think if we could just get rid of the commute bit, we'd be fine. But I'd be really interested to see how the world unpacks, uh, unwinds with local working and people doing more work closer to home. Be interesting to see where the world goes. Yeah, yeah. And we're already seeing more and more people moving out of London or moving further mm. away, um, yeah. which then means necessarily they're going to want to commute into the office less. Yes. So it kind of reinforces itself. And I think the office has a gravity as well. Mm. Like if, if one of the benefits is being around people, if people are there less often, yes, good point. you're going to go less often. So I think in our business and actually in most businesses, there will become a kind of rhythm around the, the middle of the week where, mm. you know, people are in, maybe they're commuting two days a week. We'll see. Yeah. And, and also it kind of depends on the role. Like our, our engineers, they, yeah. uh, their setup and their focus and indeed mm. their whole way of working yeah. lends itself very well to, to remote working. Yeah. It's a really good point. So that's fine. I think if you're in I don't know, sales, marketing, support, yeah. operate where you're, where you're, closer to the customer and, and the interactions with your team and the customer, I think it lends itself more to being together, um, at least together more regularly. Um, yeah. Planning campaigns and, and that, that the nuance of that feedback between a sales pitch, a customer on support, 
retention campaign, a marketing campaign, you just get that feeling, that resonance mm. between those four things that tend to bounce off each other quite well. Um, so yeah, having the trust and the communication between the team is, is important, but I do think in, in that domain, it does help being together. And indeed the people in those teams tend to want to be together a yes. bit more often as well. You just want to make sure there's not, doesn't, you don't fall into kind of having two different types of cultures or different types of teams within the business. Um, but we'll, we'll figure that out over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Tom, I'd like to ask you the question I ask every guest now, uh, which is what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you'd like to pass on to your kids? Yeah. So I've been thinking about this. I think the biggest lesson, and it, this actually relates in some ways to the discussion we're having about university opportunity cost jobs and so on. I think the biggest lesson is to really think about the people you want to work with and the culture you want to work in, because invariably that is what drives success and that is what drives yeah. happiness or indeed unhappiness in someone's life. Uh, and it, it sounds, it's sort of when I say it, it sounds like a really obvious statement, but, but I, I think the perspective on that is I think it's very easy to think, I want to work in that sector or I want to work in a startup or I want to become an investor, right? And the truth is, whether you do or don't do that, or more importantly, whether you succeed or not in that thing or enjoy that thing or not is not really about the sector. It's about the people you work with and trying to really think through what what is it I want to be surrounded by every day and finding that is far more important to professional success and personal satisfaction than finding the sector that you want to be involved in. That's what I pass on to them. That's an awesome lesson. And I think there's that truism in life that you're kind of, you know, you're shaped by the people you spend most of your time with. And people talk a lot about that, but then I think they gloss over the fact that actually probably second to your family or your closest circle, people you spend most of your life with would be your colleagues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it shapes you. And I, I saw this in finance and not necessarily the, the people I was working with specifically. There are many good people who can get sucked in by a bad culture to exhibiting bad characteristics. And you saw, you know, if you think back to the, the financial crisis, the people involved in that were, on the whole, decent, clever, passionate people. Mm. But when you get pulled into, when you're really close to kind of making money in a way that's a bit dodgy, you, you can very easily rationalize that and normalize that. And I think it just comes back to that point of just in anticipation, in advance, really thinking through what is the, the environment I want to be around. Because it, if I get it wrong, it's not just necessarily that I'm, I'm, I'm not happy or I, you know, I won't succeed in the way I want. I think it can have negative consequences on yeah. your own development as a person yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that point goes to deeper in many ways than, than how I'd originally said it. Really great point. Well, Tom, look, thank you so much. That was an absolutely amazing, really honest, open discussion. Um, before we close up, we'd like to wrap up with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, uh, where we shine a light on people, companies, founders or, or other businesses in or around the startup ecosystem. Startup Shoutouts. So who's your startup shout out today, Tom? Yeah, so this is not a startup, so forgive me, 
It's actually a charity that we've been working with for the last year. So something called the National Tutoring Programme was launched a year ago with the aim of providing or subsidizing tuition for 250,000 children from disadvantaged backgrounds in English schools. And that has been run by the Education Endowment Foundation, who did a brilliant job of getting that up and running with ambition in a small time frame against a, a pretty challenging backdrop. So my shout out is to the Education Endowment Foundation for doing that. Amazing. Sounds like a startup delivery. So I think you could definitely... Yeah, yeah it was. It, well, you're right. Yeah. They started it up. So actually, yeah. you're right. They are a charity, but it was a startup. So I feel, yeah. I feel I'm now fitting into the... Uh, absolutely. The box or the... I'm answering the question more appropriately. Absolutely. Well, Tom, look, thank you again. That was absolutely amazing. So what's next for Third Space? Uh, and, you know, anything you want to market? Any exciting news that you want to share with us? Anything, you know, that you'd like to talk about before we wrap if up? If you're a teacher and you want to buy really high quality, affordable one-to-one tuition, then come to Third Space Learning. What's next for us? So we're kind of planning out the next couple of years. We're, we're expanding from primary to secondary. We want to try and figure out how we move to international markets. We've got about 10% of our revenue comes from the US. We want that to be more. I'm trying to learn the lessons from mistakes in the past where I rushed things. Like the outlook for what we do and the need for the problem we solve is, is really significant. And I want to make sure that we, we make the right investments for long-term success. We don't rush um, in haste to kind of false short-term wins. But ultimately, we want to be helping children around the world. So what have we got to do in the next 12 to 18 months to make that a reality over the next two to five years? Brilliant. That's a great way to wrap up uh, and another little valuable tidbit lesson for us all. Tom, thank you again. That was an absolutely great episode. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at StartupDadsPod. 